The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke. On the first day of the week, at early dawn, the women who had come with Jesus from Galilee went to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body. While they were perplexed about this, Suddenly, two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you, while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be handed over to sinners and be crucified and on the third day rise again. Then they remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all this to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told this to the apostles. The Gospel of the Lord. Hallelujah, Christ is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Please be seated. Today, you and I join Christians all over the world. In in fact, even one of our own parishioners in China who will uh, participate via the Internet in that great acclamation of Easter. And we also participate with all those who have gone before us for centuries, who have proclaimed that Christ is risen, the central fact of the Christian faith, that upon which all seems to rest. Because as uh, our presider, Nick, in uh, leading us in prayer before the first service, as the choir and the altar party gathered, prayed in thanksgiving for the release that comes in the resurrection, the power that is released into the world. And we know it is true because we know it is is true in the lives that we live and in the lives of those that we encounter. I would imagine that for many of you, you can't imagine an Easter you've not celebrated, perhaps in that way or in a similar way. With that acclamation, people coming together dressed in their best, Children eager for the service to be over so they can go out for the Easter egg hunt. Many of us hoping for a short sermon. (laughs) And then, depending upon your tradition, sharing in communion together. For most of us, that is what Easter is. But because Easter is celebrated wherever Christians gather, there are many other expressions of it, and certainly expressions of it in many other and very different and severe circumstances. And one such situation I want to bring to you this morning, and that has to do with the church in Baghdad. Perhaps some of you have heard of Canon Andrew White. He's an Anglican priest in his mid-40s, and he has served as the Archbishop of Canterbury's special representative in the Middle East. He's a skilled negotiator. Some of you will recall that the uh, uh, Church of the Nativity was uh, for a while taken, hostages were taken there, and it was a very difficult and dangerous situation for a number of days. 
Andrew White was one of the negotiators that made it possible for that hostage-taking to come to an end. He is frequently contacted by the U.S. government. The Pentagon calls him whenever they're thinking about having meetings, especially with religious leaders in the Middle East. He's often consulted. And he has met and is known by nearly every one of the key players in the Middle East. But perhaps he's best known as the vicar of Baghdad, having served St. George's Church in Baghdad for many years, a church made up of about 900 Iraqis. When he first came and tried to reopen that church, the church originally founded in 1936, Tariq Aziz made it possible for him to come in and do that. But he said his congregation had an awful lot of secret service present. But then over time, and it was really in a matter of a few months, there were about 900 Iraqis that, that became a part of that congregation. Christians, not Anglicans, but that didn't matter to Canon White. He has a wonderful congregation that now meets in the Green Zone because it's too dangerous to meet in St. George's. Well, here's Andrew's description of Easter two years ago. We had the service for St. George's Church, as usual, in the Prime Minister's Lecture Theater. We timed it for 11 a.m., and we did not leave until 3.30. It was certainly the best Easter service I have ever been to. The love of the people is incredible. They care for me so much, and I love them dearly. We had two baptisms, communion and then lunch. All the events were quite wonderful. I preached at all the Easter services. In the Iraqi service, I concentrated on how the stone was rolled away, as well as the resurrection. As usual, I ensured my sermon was interactive. We spoke about the hope of glory and resurrection. I asked the congregation to tell me their stories. Their stories were desperate. They spoke of loved ones killed or kidnapped, of homes destroyed by bombs, of illness and loss of jobs. All of them, though, spoke of the joy and hope of the resurrection. They spoke of how much they loved Jesus and how they never gave in. For all of them, Easter was real. They loved Jesus, knew he was real, and they loved him and would not leave him. And he would not leave them. We sang, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future. Life is worth living just because he lives. For them, this was not just a song. This was their daily experience. At 3.30, we eventually left the hall. They are the most wonderful congregation I have ever had, and I thank God for them every day. And then he adds at the very end, The Lord is here, and his spirit is with us, and his glory has not left this place. I have spent several Easter's in Jerusalem, and they are nothing like this. My job is to take God's glory into my work here and to take a little of it wherever I go. And I forgot, it, forgot to add in describing him, he also has MS. 
Now that's someone who knows what Easter is, serving a congregation that clearly knows what Easter is. What I find so compelling in Andrew's account of that Easter is that within it, it just rings like a giant bell as clear as can be of hope. Hope in a place that is perhaps, in my mind, the most hopeless. Seemingly endless violence. And yet these people can speak of hope. And it's clear where their hope comes from. Their hope rests on the reality that they know in their lives of the resurrected one. The morning that the women uh, went to the tomb, and it's very interesting, I hope you noticed that the first witnesses to the resurrection are women, all of them. And that's really for another sermon, but it's so interesting and so important. (laughs) There'll be another time. They went to the tomb, certainly hoping that they would be able to complete their obligation of preparing Jesus' body for burial because it had been the Sabbath. They had to hurry and rush and get him into the tomb. And then they would come back and put the spices, wash his body, put spices on it. But when they got there, they found that the stone had been rolled back and the tomb was empty. They must have been terrified in in, in addition to being saddened that his body had been perhaps stolen. Now, one must also remember that these women also had experienced their leader having been taken in the night and then beaten and then having to carry his cross outside of the city and dying, being hanged on that cross. The most awful death anyone could imagine. I'm sure that there are people in Iraq that when they hear the stories that come out of Holy Week, they think about their loved ones who have been taken in the night, people that they know who have been tortured and and killed in all of the violence that goes on there. And the women who had come to the tomb that morning, they knew of that as well. It was a part of their life. And then they see these two angelic beings and the angelic beings say to them, why are you looking for the living among the dead? It's as though they they think these women are lost or they just don't get it. And then they say to the women, don't you remember how he talked to you and what he said, how he said that on the third day he would rise again? And then they do recall and they go back and they tell the eleven and all of the others. That's the account that we have, this account of the witness that morning to that resurrection. And I don't know about you, but for me, it's just very, very difficult for me to get my rational mind around the idea of resurrection. I could tell you what I believe, but it would not be enough because there would always be the possible arguments about the uh, the text, the validity of those texts. And, of course, the historical accuracy of the accounts themselves. Could it have really happened that way? But I think where we really grow in our faith and grow deeper in faith is as we encounter other people and their faith. And I think we heard that in that account that uh, Canon White gave of Easter in Baghdad. It was very clear that as he listened to the stories that unfolded over what seems like more than an hour, as he listened to the stories of the faith of the people, his faith was deepened as well. And I must say that In the time that I have been among you, 
My faith has been deepened. As I have spent time with you, as you have received word of of terrible things happening with your health, perhaps even the possibility of death. And then, of course, those of you who have lost loved ones and have had to deal with that loss. Over and over and over again, I have encountered faith that is so deep, so enduring, and it's clear where that faith comes from. It is at its base, faith in the resurrection. For if the one who went ahead of us, who died and rose again, if he could overcome death, then anything can be overcome. And then it is truly possible to hope. I've told a story before that I must tell again. Because for me, when words just are not enough, sometimes an image is. And when I find myself the most desperate to reach out to a God that I cannot understand and I cannot rationally comprehend, this image is the image that often I fall back on. It's a story of Henry Nouwens. It's about the Flying Rodleys, a German trapeze artists that uh, he had great admiration for. It goes like this. What's it like, Nouwen asked. The leader, the flyer, said, I must have complete trust in my catcher. The public might think I'm the star, but the real star is Joe, the catcher. How does that work? Nowen asked. The secret, Rodley said, is that the flyer does nothing and the catcher does everything. You do nothing? Nowen asked. Rodley answered. The worst thing the flyer can do is to try to catch the catcher. The flyer must trust with outstretched arms that the catcher will be there for him. The strength of faith that I have witnessed in this congregation among so many of you is a faith that trusts the catcher. Don't try to catch the catcher. Let the catcher catch you. And the catcher knows your name. The catcher knows your name. And you will know. You will know when you put your arms out. You will know that it is he, the risen one. Hallelujah.